Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast. It is episode 140. I am Mo. Hello, everybody. Uh, Hello. I'm doing... I wasn't talking to you. You did it again. <laughs> I was talking to our lovely listeners across the world of metal. Oh, thank you. Oh, for fuck's sake. Ruined it. Forget it. Anyway, as I'm probably joined, uh, as you've probably worked out, I am joined by the one and only Eleanor Goodman, Deputy Editor of Metal Hammer. How are you doing, Elle? I'm okay, thanks. Uh, good. Uh, also joined by the one and only Mr. Stephen Hill, one of our very finest contributors. How are you doing, Steve? Pretty good, mate. Pretty good. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, I'm all right. You are okay, Steve. You just told us a whole story about you got getting electrocuted. I'm not going to let something like that bring me down, though, am I? Well, you did, literally, when you fell over. Steve, Steve had a bad time. He got a little shock yesterday. But he's fine now. He's with us. He's here. Um, and I'll tell you what else is here, as a matter of fact. We have a brand new issue of Metal Hammer magazine. It is out right now in shops across the UK. So when you're kind of uh, sneaking out to do your uh, weekly shops and all the rest of it, make sure you look out for it and pick it up. You can also order it from tinyurl.com slash gethammer. It features our huge all-star metal tributes to the one and only Eddie Van Halen. Eddie passed away last week, uh, last month, um, absolutely shocked and saddened the rock and metal world. So we've amassed a huge tribute to Eddie in the new issue of Metal Hammer. We have tributes from the likes of Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath, Zach Wilde, members of Slayer, Lamb of God, Five Finger Death Punch, Killswitch Engage. Uh, we've got Lizzie Hale in there. We've got Nita Strauss in there. Loads of huge names from across the world of rock and metal. We uh, um, Hammer writer Paul Brannigan did an excellent job telling Eddie's amazing life story, uh, talking all about how he changed heavy music forever. Such a huge and vital influence on metal directly as well. Uh, if you're not really familiar with Van Halen's work, we talked about it a little bit just after Eddie had passed, but he was such an important influence on heavy music. Um, you can hear his playing in everybody from Zach Wilde all the way to Adam D from Killswitch. He really is that influential. So we get into all of that, uh, all those tributes from all those metal legends, as I mentioned. And we got a ton of them to pick the Van Halen songs that you need to know about. Uh, it's a huge old feature. It's very, very cool. And it's in the new issue that's out right now. Uh, also in the new issue of Metal Hammer, we are celebrating 10 years of Ghost, if you can believe that. It is 10 years since their debut album came out. So we get into the early years of the band when they were first setting the metal underground alight. Uh, we meet one of the strangest team-ups of 2020 as we talk to Emma, Ruth, Rundle and Thou. We've also got brand new features with the likes of Mr. Bungle, written by Mr. Stephen Hill, who is right here. Talking Hello. to the one and only Mike Patton about exactly why it took so long for us to hear a brand new Mr. Bungle album. Uh, we've also got brand new interviews with Ocean of Slumber, Paul Bearer, Spirit Box, Seven Dust, Soul Sophia, Armored Saint... An awesome competition where you can win a guitar signed by Angus from ACDC. That is some heavy, heavy duty stuff. All in the latest issue of Metal Hammer. Uh, there's also a Marilyn Manson interview in this issue that you might have read about uh, online this week. Uh, it's written by the excellent Dave Everly. Um, we, uh, yeah, as I say, you might have read a little bit about this online recently already. Uh, the backstory to this is that Marilyn Manson agreed to do an interview with us off the back of the release of his latest album, We Are Chaos. Uh, it's an album that received rave reviews both in the magazine and right here on the Metal Hammer podcast. Uh, but the fact is, is that the world has changed dramatically since the release of his previous album, 
Heaven Upside Down, which came out in 2017. Uh, since that album came out, we've had the Me Too movement and the discourse around cancel culture continue to evolve and grow. Uh, and we wanted to engage with Manson on these topics for various reasons, uh, some of which you can read about in our prelude piece on the Metal Hammer website right now. Uh, but unfortunately, things didn't quite go to plan with this interview. Um, but we do think this is an important piece. It's a piece about accountability. It's a piece about being unafraid to engage in difficult conversations. And it's a piece about recognising that the discourse around rock star behaviour and the, represent the representation of women in music uh, needs to change. And I think that Dave Everly has done an amazing job with this piece. We're very proud of it. And I think uh, that hopefully, hopefully that many of you will feel the same way once you've read it. Uh, but as I've mentioned, you can read about the background of this interview and why we decided to publish it on the Metal Hammer website right now. Uh, so that Marilyn Manson piece and all that other stuff I mentioned is in the new issue of Metal Hammer. It's out in shops and you can get it delivered directly to your door from tinyurl.com slash hammer. Me and Mike Patton are friends now, by the way. So, are you, Steve? Yes, definitely. <laughs> Is that in your mind or in reality? No, we got on very well, very well indeed. Actually, I love have you been leave, leaving voice notes for him on WhatsApp? Uh, we're not. Well, you don't have to. That's the thing about friends. Sometimes <laughs> unspoken connection between people, and that's what I felt me and Mike Patton had. So Brilliant. we're in it. <laughs> Good. I can confirm that uh, I can confirm that Steve's piece with Mike Patton is very, very good. So definitely uh, pick up the latest issue to read all about that. Um, L, tell me about what Slipknot have been up to. There's some Slipknot news this week. Yeah, speaking during a live stream to promote the band's number nine Iowa whiskey, Clown said, "Since everybody's taken a lot of time off, we thought we'd utilize it by getting together and do what we probably do best, which is write music." That's very exciting, isn't it? So Clown yeah. is saying they've been writing music. Unexpected. Do we think that there's any chance whatsoever that we'll get a new Slipknot album next year? Probably not. I think we might. I think, funny, I was saying to my mate earlier, everybody should be doing a new album next year, right? Everybody. Shouldn't everybody be doing a new album? I mean, we've had There's This, so that could happen. Ramstein, we're talking about them potentially maybe getting back together. That could happen. I mean, even it, tall. He, well, I don't know about that, but I mean, sh you, I would like to think that every band has taken this opportunity to at least consider maybe writing new material. So I don't really see why not. I mean, fuck me, if we can get new system of a down material, all bets are off, right? Yeah, I mean that—that's a good point. That's a good point. Who knows what could happen? Um, I would love to hear more new Slipknot music. I think we all agreed that the last album was really, really strong. Strongest thing they've done in a good old while um so why the fuck not i guess i guess the problem is that slipknot have still got the kind of back end of the tour cycle for the last album to finish off because they didn't really do the festival run um off the back of it so that's still on the agenda as well i guess we'll just have to wait and see um did anybody see the doja cat metalled up version of say so for the emas and did anybody know that what I was talking about before they actually went and watched it? Well, I, mate, not only do I not know who that is or what that is, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it going around the internet and I had a quick look at it, but I didn't know who she was or what the song was. But Have you heard the song when you checked out the regular version of the song? So for people that don't know this, Doja Cat is a, a pop star slash rapper um, who is 
very big in the game at the moment. Um, she's Some of her songs have become viral hits on TikTok and stuff like that. And she's got that song that's called Say So that kind of goes... Why did you say so? That one. Um, which, now that I've sung that, obviously everyone knows what we're talking about. Everyone knows, yeah. It was beautiful. <laughs> and uh, she was performing on the EMAs uh, this week. And she did like a proper metalled up version, um, complete with metalled up guitarists. And it was made to look like something out of an Evanescence video from about 2005. So that was quite interesting. What did you think of it, Elle? I just think, why not? Like, obviously, it's dipping a toe into metal. No one's claiming she knows everything about metal. But maybe she does. I don't know. Don't know her background. But I think it's fine. Like, I, I like seeing stuff like this because it's just kind of a little bit of a nod to our metal world. Cultural appropriation is what it is. I don't mind. I think it's all right. No, I don't think that either. I just... I mean, it's silly, isn't it? Um, yeah, that oh, metal can't really be culturally appropriated when you think about where it came from in the first place. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, no, uh, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because on one side, you kind of think that's quite cool. It's metal getting a bit of a nod. But then you also kind of think it'd be nice if metal bands were on the EMAs, though. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like pop stars yeah. having to do it. I mean, you know, Miley Cyrus is doing a Metallica album, apparently. And it's like, yeah. And it's like Daija Cat's doing what well, well, was quite a cool reimagining of her song. But then you kind of think it would be nice if metal bands were kind of breaking through big enough to just be in those spots. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's something that comes up every now and then. Someone will do something a bit metally, or even like going back to when we were kids and like, is it Mel C from Spice Girls wore a Motorhead t shirt? It's like things like this just come up every now and then. It always happens. So, I mean, they don't it, cool. as long as it's not a sort of comedy throwing the horns like, uh -huh, look at me, you know what I mean? Then um, I don't mind it. The but band taking the piss i'm not that keen on it so the much. band looks a bit like that not like taking the piss but it looks a bit well i haven't really looked at it in detail but it looked a bit like they'd made them look metal to look metal if you know what i mean like a bit like fancy dress do you remember that yeah that kind of like do you remember when lady gaga and metallica did the grammys and they're those kind of cos those models sort of cosplaying metal that was so cringe, which is a shame because I mean the performance went to shit anyway, didn't they? Because they didn't <laughs> they didn't put Headfield's mic on properly. Yeah, which is good. But um, the apart from that, the whole kind of vibe of it was quite cool. But yeah, they kind of fucked it by having pretend metalheads in the background. It was a bit like uh, that's a shame. Um, but it is what it is. Yeah, if, I mean, if, I, th I think it's worth a look. It's quite interesting. It's a bit different. This old Doja Cat. Uh, uh, thing and I think she's quite cool she's done some good songs outside of this so fair play to her uh, the music venue trust has announced the traffic light campaign to save all grassroots venues still in crisis uh, this is including 30 venues that the music venue trust has listed as red light status and um, so head over to at music venue trust on twitter to find out more and we can do donate to a crowdfund that they've set up so a uh, really cool organization spotlighting the uh ongoing major major issues that a lot of music venues are facing in the wake of the pandemic so um do give a read about it and spread the word and support if you can right album of the week time this is an interesting one we weren't really sure what we were going to do for the album of the week this week because uh there's a dark but a rising album out 
I think we might get Jonathan on next week to talk about that because that's a bit more in his wheelhouse. Um, and then Steve pointed out that there was a King 810 album out this week, which I didn't even know uh, yeah. because they're kind of so, uh, you know, just not quite on the same radar of the worlds that they were um, a few years ago. And also probably shows how much I've not been paying attention. So that's partly my fault. But um, we thought we'd do this because I thought it'd be an interesting chance to just kind of chat about where the band are at and where they've been uh and their just quite unusual journey that they've had over the past i don't know what is it six seven years now since that first album turned up something like yeah. that six years mm. yeah so uh this album i mean they only had an album out uh last year in fact um so this has come about relatively quickly and i think they actually also had like was it either a mix safe or an ep out um last year as well uh so they had uh after three years um between their second and third albums uh they had suicide king a full-length album out last year and then they had uh another release called midsummer murders and midsummer murders midsummer murders that will be a real fucking swerve sorry i'm tired we're recording it a bit later than normal today um mid midwest monsters the uh (laughs) the release last year was called but anyway, so this is a band that's been around the scene for a few years now. They were very, 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 very highly hyped when they first broke out onto the metal scene, partly because they had a very interesting story. They came from Flint, Michigan, which is a very uh, kind of um, poverty-stricken and crime-stricken part of the States. that has a lot of issues and has been in the spotlight a few times uh, over the years in the States um, because of their music, which was a really cool and interesting kind of update of the kind of heavy slipknot influenced groove metal template. Um, and also because uh, they had, you know, a bit of a reputation for being naughty boys. And this put them a lot in a lot of people's uh, um, radar a few years back. Uh, so I guess the long and short of it is there was a bit of hype around them and then there wasn't so much hype around them. And now they've got a new album out. Where do you guys stand with this band now? Cause it felt for a moment like they might be a thing and now, maybe not so much. I really like King 810, and I feel sorry for them because I think it's just, well, I don't feel sorry for them in a sense because they've still got fans and they're putting out music and they're really into what they're doing. But it did seem a bit like they got massively, massively hyped, had a load of setbacks, and then they didn't really reach these heights they were meant to reach, you know, being touted as a slipknot, etc. But I don't think they care, you know. Um I think they make really good music. It's really, the stuff they put out, some of it's really diverse, some of it's really bluesy, some of it's really new metal some of it's really groovy. And a lot of the lyrics are about um, David Gunn's kind of experiences in Flint, Michigan. Um, you know, uh, it's kind of crime and guns and all murders and all that kind of stuff that's going on. But he's also really well read and he writes a lot about kind of um spiritual and magic type things as well and i think there's more going on here than people give them credit for and i think it's a shame that they had some hiccups with getting people over to tour um lineup changes all that kind of thing because i think it sort of set them off balance and um i think this yeah i think they deserve more credit than they get basically yeah i agree with some of that not all of it to be honest um i mean we should say this album is called AK Concerto number 47, AK 47. And 
one of the main problems with King 810 is their uh, sort of over-reliance on talking about guns and stuff quite a lot. Um, I think we sort of said it jokingly, talking about Maynard James Keenan and the Pussifer record a few weeks ago, how he talks a lot about social media and he has done in a lot of records. King 810 seemed to talk a lot about the life of the gun and living with guns and holding guns and kissing a gun and all this stuff. And there's a too, there's a bit too much of the the gun-based lifestyle, I think, for a lot of people who, certainly from this country, it's quite a difficult thing to be able to um, empathise and identify with. I, I don't doubt that it comes from a real place and I don't doubt that that is, you know, a lot of their normal day-to-day um existence but it's that can be quite off-putting for a lot i can understand how that's quite off-putting for a lot of people i think they certainly didn't help themselves with the way that um they framed themselves early on when they came over for that first album i think the irony and i think that first album is kind of clunky um it's got some really good stuff on it it's got a lot of filler on it as well I think the second album, Le Petit Mort, A Conversation with God, is comfortably the most interesting thing that they've done. Um, And I really liked the idea that they leaned a lot on kind of old school hip hop and stuff like Tom Waits and Nick Cave as well. You know, I don't think, I think if you, the problem is that if you listen to someone like Tom Waits or if you listen to a lot of Nick Cave, you can see how they are a long, long, long way away from being as good as those artists. But certainly I think it's interesting that a metal band have tried to tackle that kind of genre. It's, um, it is a bit scattergun and it is a bit like throwing as much stuff at the wall. And I'm not really sure how much it congeals. I hate to bring up code. Well, I don't hate to bring up code orange, but I'm going to bring them. (laughs) I don't hate to bring them up. They are the, the, like code orange's album is a, cohesive amalgam of lots of different influences king 810 when they do that i always felt like it didn't quite sit together they sort of felt like the ups and the downs were really quite jarring but i really liked the artistic statement that they were trying to make i think the the last record was a real kind of halfway house between some quite interesting artistic ideas and a lot of very clunky, not particularly interesting new metal. And I feel like, yeah, then I mean, they're, they're absolutely not going to be the new Slipknot. They are far better than a lot of people give them credit for, but they're certainly not as good as they were initially tipped to be. I don't think they've ever really properly delivered something which is worthy of the the magnitude of what they're trying to do, if that makes sense. I think it's hard though because I think they were pitched as like the the next Slipknot and like a big thing and like we've talked about they've done stuff that's a bit more diverse than that whether you agree that it gels or not like when you look at the last record Suicide King half of that is kind of um new metal slash groove metal they've got songs like Bang Guns which is literally exactly what you'd expect to be like a really harsh sounding song where he just sings about like Bang Guns and then they've got the back end of the album with like Black Rifle and God is Watching where it kind of goes more atmospheric and like a um, bit bluesy with Wade in the Water. And it's kind of um, that record, they sort of almost like, it's like two halves glued together almost in the way they did it. 
Mm. And I think this new record takes all those different bits. I think it's more straightforward than that one, um, but there's still little bits and pieces of these sounds. I think what I'm trying to say is maybe they didn't live up to what was expected because they weren't going to go down that kind of more straightforward route. They sort of went off to the side a bit. And I think the guns thing, it does become, to our ears, as you mentioned, it can seem a bit of a cliche if he's talking about boogeymen and guns and bodies and things. But I'm with you. Like, I think we had conversations in the past because there were rumours about is this for real or not? And, you know, I do think it is for real. And I do think, like you said, it's the life they live. So why not write about it? I think if we're middle-class people sitting in England talk like listening to it um it's almost kind of snobby to just be like oh you know he's singing about guns again because that's kind of what they are you know and I'm not saying that you're wrong to say that I think a lot of people would have the same reaction um but I think you kind of just have to accept that this is what they do and this is what they sound like and maybe what they thought what we thought they were going to be is not actually what they are in a sense yeah, that, no, I, I agree with uh, both of what you guys have said. Really, I think that um, the 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 music is a fascinating mixture of that kind of more brutal, thuggish, groove heavy, simplistic, aggressive metal, um, peppered with kind of like hip hop, hip hop kind of styled lyricism and and uh, patterns. Um, and these kind of strange, interesting experimentations. And I think this new record, which as Steve very well pointed out, is called uh, AK Concerto Number no. 47, 11th Movement in G Major. Um, uh, I think that's, you know, that's kind of more of the same. And I, and I feel like with King now, we're at a point where you don't quite know what you're going to get because they do, they, do, they do always kind of throw out at least a curveball or two on each album. But you do know that you're going to get that kind of mixture of, what they are and I think what they might aspire to be. Um, and I kind of agree with what Steve said as well about how that it, it mixes in quite a weird way because they still seem to have half an album. That's one thing and half of them that's, that's the other. It never quite seems to gel into this one fluid sound. And generally speaking, I like pretty much all of it. I mean, I like this record. you know, I think it's got some good moments. Um, once you get over the fact that the kind of more, heavy straight up uh as I said, like a kind of aggressive metal elements are more of the same of what they've always done and are kind of accompanied by more of the same lyrics that david's always written um once you get around that i think there's really good songs on there and i enjoy that but it's the slightly different elements that are interesting on here and once again kind of speak to king having quite an ambitious um idea of who they could be i think um you know there's little kind of catchy electronic elements woven into the track i am the enemy that's quite interesting um i really like the song dukes i felt like that yeah, was I love that song. song for them because it's like this kind of driving bouncy almost like southern riff like it's almost like a song you could hear like clutch playing um they've mm. so uh, had that one out for a while i was really i didn't know they were going to release a record like this soon but i've seen them putting stuff out and that's like one of my favorites it's got that swing to it hasn't it yeah it has yeah um it's got a little bit of um Maylene and the sons of disaster sort of oh, brilliant reference what a band <laughs> i love that band 
yeah, it's definitely got a bit of that. And I think like David even kind of works his vocals around that. Like he kind of almost puts a bit of a southern twang on it. He kind of does this like yeah kind of thing, which he doesn't really do on his other songs. So that's quite interesting. Um, the song uh, is it House of Dust? Um, yeah. That track I found fascinating. It's got this. It's washed in these kind of almost like Depeche Mode kind of eighties. Totally reminded me of like an eighties film. <laughs> Yeah, which is obviously kind of a big deal at the moment. But when when that started playing, I was like, "Wow, this is really interesting," and I really really like it. I think it really works. Um, uh, I like the song uh, "Suicide Machines" as well. That's got like that was the one where I think me and you were trying to work out what the reference point was, and now pointed out that it's very similar to an Alice in Chains riff, which I had not spotted at all. Which song was it? Stone. Stone by Alice in Chains. Um, I also like that song because it's got the. Um, it's got the lyric "All my enemies rest in piss," which I thought was quite good. <laughs> like, I Honestly, I thought I heard that, and I was like, "That's such a good lyric!" Just like proper, like Larry. inside of a get well soon card. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. Um, and the track at the end, two A, I found really interesting. It's kind of this like minimalist techno come Rob Zombie song. It's really weird. Like it goes along on this like minimalist techno riff. And then it kind of explodes into just like dagger, 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 that kind of Rob Zombie tune. So I really yeah. like that one as well. Yeah, I think the last two songs are comfortably my favourite on it. I mean, I going through this, I was like, when I first put this on, and it was pretty much what I thought it was going to be, and it was what King Eight One Zero have sort of made a a reputation from. I wouldn't say. I think it's harsh to say they made a career out of it because I don't actually think they have at all. I think people saying that haven't listened to their albums in full i think there's a lot more going on their albums than just that type of thing but that big kind of groovy massive new metally kind of slipknot ultra aggressive guns guns and violence thing that they do that's become what people really think about them and i mean the weird thing about them is is like for me i think this record is pretty better than the last one i think the last one was probably a more ambitious and a more interesting record but i actually i think my why i kind of prefer this one is because quite the opposite to what you were saying Mel, was that i actually quite like that they seem to have slightly um accepted their limitations a little bit i don't think they're good enough a band i don't think they're really capable of hitting that when they aim for nick cave and tom waits and you know, when they, you know, and David Byrne and stuff like that, like when they aim for those things, like on stuff like Wade in the Water, you go, this is very, very worthy and very interesting. And it's really good that a metal band are trying to do that. But you are, you know, you're so far wide of the mark, unfortunately, um, that you'd have to improve a hell of a lot. And I really like that type of stuff. But I just think the reference points that they're aiming for, they're just not really that good enough to to hit them properly. Whereas when you mention stuff like Rob Zombie and Alison Chains and, you know, obviously Slipknot and there's bits of kind of, like, say, 80 synths and stuff, which is massively zeitgeisty at the moment. And the whole record does feel like a very aggressive record, even though that's probably a style of theirs which I actually enjoy less. I think they're better at doing that. So overall, I would rather hear them do something, do a kind of slightly interesting version of the things that have come before them and fuck with that formula a little bit than really, really go, oh, let's go running off into this territory, which we're just, quite honestly, not really capable of 
existing alongside the sort of best of those artists. So I actually quite like this record, surprisingly, and I, I didn't think I was going to. I really like it, but I, I have actually really liked all the records. And I think you have to remember, as again, about this new record, like the other ones, it sounds really big. They do that really well. Like they just do that metal groove thing really well where it just sounds like, it sounds like shit's kicking off because <laughs> it totally is. You know, that's where he's writing from. He's writing from all this stuff. Um, and he doesn't mince his words, you know, no matter, obviously we're just talking about kind of the gun references and stuff, but even on like Red Queen, it's just like, it opens and it's just like, I can't remember exactly what it says, but something like I sit here in my shit clothes, I live in a shithole. It's like, you're just, it's just saying it how it is. It's just, it's just kind of a big groovy, it's just, it really sounds like them, like they've got an identity, even though we're talking about them doing all this different things, like their identity is really strong. And I think we were talking earlier about them and sort of their, them kind of coming out in the relationships, the music industry. And he actually says in Red Queen, I'm from the Midwest. Industry ain't made me not who they want me to be. That's why they hate me. So it's quite kind of that classic referential thing, isn't it? That artists do in songs, especially in like hip hop. Yeah. I mean, you have to feel for them a little bit because for whatever reason, back in 2014, when they came out they came with a hell of a lot of expectancy and you know the reputation that sort of preceded them ultimately a lot of people did just go no like you know mm -hmm. <laughs> we just don't want this and yeah, I mean, we were all kind of you know we we did a big thing with them and we lent heavily on the on the kind of reputation i kind of feel like if king 810 had and, you know, like I said, you know, Metal Hammer got behind them in a really big way. We Maybe we pushed them too hard to start with. You know, I, I, I was all about that fucking first album when it came out. Um, and I think musically, this band really do uh, have something really special. And I like what they do a lot. And um, even though I wouldn't say I like this album in particular quite as much as maybe the first two, I certainly like it. And I like the last record as well. I think, I think they've not put anything out uh, that's you know not even not bad just they, everything they put out is good um but i kind of feel like maybe this is one where if they just been left to organically garner their own reputation a little bit first um because their live shows are like david gunn is a is a presence live yeah but i saw them at the underworld like quite recently was it last year or something and the underworld's only 500 capacity and it wasn't full and they had they were down a couple of band members and all kinds of things but they were still really good even again even on the back foot even with stuff like fucking up and going wrong they still did a really good show yeah i remember you saying that and i, but I think i think was it the first time they played london where they did Islington academy and they had like the people, fake yeah they had people with guns stood outside the venue and they had like David Gunn did that kind of poetry section where he had like interpretive dancers on stage and the poetry stuff from the first album is really cool and really interesting. I think it adds to that record. I think it works. But if it's the first time you're playing a band and your kind of main thing is the fact you're this fucking aggressive, exciting, heavy band. Okay, you do have more layers than maybe other bands in the hardcore and metal scene you might get booked with on that level. But I think the first thing you need to do is just come out and rip the fucking face off people and put on a live show that people are just not going to forget about. The other stuff can come later. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's maybe another thing where 
they went a bit wrong. They tried to do too much early on. And if you're sitting there already a little bit cynical because they've got all this press and all this kind of hype around them, then David Gunn standing with his back to the stage while two dancers fuck about is not going to impress you. It's just not. And also talking about how real you are and how this is not, you know, like this is not fake and this is reality and this is how we live our life. And then bringing along like road crew to dress with like, you know, face masks on and hold AK-47s next to stage. And it just, you know, it it didn't look threatening. It made it look panto and it made it look mm-hmm. cheap and it made it look fake. And I think that was, again, that was more, you know, excuse the pun again, ammunition for people who were like, well, this is just, you know, this is just a, a facade. This is just a, a fake kind of um, image that they're trying to cultivate. It didn't feel real. Like, do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel, you put I police agree, it, across doesn't, the it doesn't feel threatening. You just put police tape across it. I mean, you can do that, but if you're trying to do all this stuff and it's like, oh, look, there's going to be a riot and there's going to be beat, like, you know, just play your fucking songs and, and get don't, it didn't need that, I think, is the point. Right. The stuff right. that it's thinking about is dramatic enough and personal enough that it just didn't need that element to it. And when that element was added, it, it sort of detracted and um, it just detracted from what the material is. Mm. I think that was the problem. It's, you know, like you said, it sort of made it almost feel less legitimate. And I think it just detracted from actually the fact that the songs are good. Yeah. yeah. Agreed, agreed. It was a weird one. But I guess I guess the kind of reason we're raking over this now isn't to kind of just, you know, criticise the bands for what they're doing. The point is that kind of if you just take away all that shit, they're a really good band. And I think this is a, another really cool album. Um, I think it's I think it's worth people's time. And, and I don't think anyone else really w- does what they do. And even though, I guess to Steve's point, like there's an argument to be made about how much of these other influences they should let kind of derail their music um, in terms of the musical influences. I still think that they don't get as much credit as they probably deserve. And if, and if you kind of heard a bit about King 810 and you just think they're this kind of knuckle-headed new metal band or whatever, they're definitely not that. David Gunn is a very intelligent, interesting person. He's a very enigmatic presence. And I think that, um, you know, I hope that, the, uh, you know, they can still continue putting out music and doing what they do because I think what they do is really good. Um, yeah, and I think it's um, I think it's really cool they still do because they have had so many setbacks and the fact they push through all that and are still going and are still delivering really good music is amazing. Like, yeah, what, but They've not had that easy. Definitely, um, which is ironic, really, given what the, the massive push they got to start with. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating seems to be the way that they got this push and people kind of kicked back on it. And then I remember being very cynical about them when the second album came out and hearing the second album, which I think still is comfortably the best thing they've ever done. And even if some of the bits don't quite land as that they maybe should do, I still think that is a really, really interesting record. And people just were like, no, we're not like absolutely not. And the, where their profile is now, the fact that, us sitting here, like, you know, Mel, you as the editor of Metal Hammer, I was like, oh, I think King 810 have got, and you didn't even know that. I mean, mm. that says a hell of a lot about kind of how far they've fallen. And, and I guess, yeah, it's um, it's a shame. I think it's probably a shame that, you know, I, I guess it means that, um, you know, people, we can't really push bands on people like maybe we could have done 20 years ago or whatever, you know, like people are now going to just stick their, 
their heels in the ground and go, no, 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 no. And I don't know if that is because people aren't willing to give bands more of a chance to grow or because they're more cynical about the mechanics of the machine or whatever. I don't know. But um, it is a shame that people weren't kind of really willing to give them a second chance, I think. Yeah, it's odd. Um, but maybe not too surprising when you look at how the metal scene can take you know can take that kind of thing like if they've made their minds up on a band it often takes a lot to turn that but um the album's really cool it's got some really interesting stuff on it so we implore you go and check it out this weekend uh, it's called aka concerto numbers 47 11th movement in g major um but if you can't be bothered with all that and you just want to just fucking go listen to a kick-ass rock album there's a new acdc album out this friday as well and lord knows how nice that'll be to listen to um, I haven't actually heard it, but go listen to it. I'm sure it sounds like ACDC, which is all we could possibly want for, really, isn't it? Happy days. Uh, let's do the first Hall of Fame that we've done in ages, it feels like. Um, we've done a couple over lockdown. This is the first we've done in a few months. Uh, for those that have not heard the Metal Hammer podcast Hall of Fame debates before, they work as thus. Uh, we pick a, an iconic band, to induct into the Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame, but we can only choose one album to induct into it. Obviously, this is not a real building. There is no Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame. Don't go out looking for it. You won't find it. That'd be really stupid. It's just a bit of fun. Uh, but we do take it seriously, uh, and we let you guys pick the two albums that are nominated for entry, which we then go on to debate, and now are down to one. Um, in previous um, weeks and months, we've had the likes of Hollywood by Marilyn Manson, the self-titled Slipknot album, uh, Seven Son of a Seven Son by Iron Maiden, uh, Clayman by In Flames. These are big, big records. Um, what else went in? Alive or Just Breathing by Killswitch and Gage. You wish we had Hollywood in. It was Antichrist Superstar. Oh, my God. I say that every time, don't I? I say that every time. I went to bat for Hollywood, which didn't even make it into the running. Seems quite right. It was Antichrist Superstar by Marilyn Manson that went in. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, big, big albums that make up this thing. And this week, in honour of their triumphant return last week, we did an extra podcast where we had said very good things about their two new songs. We're going to do System of a Down, uh, one of the greatest metal bands of the 21st century, uh, one of the greatest metal bands ever, in my humble opinion. I don't think too many people would take too much umbrage with that. Um, we put the albums, uh, all five of their albums, I mean, four proper studio albums, really, but we put still with this album in there as well, because why the fuck not? All up for debate on the Mel Hammer Readers page on Facebook. Um, probably unsurprising to see that there were two clear uh, winners, as it were, for the nominations, which was their debut album, 1998 System of a Down, and its follow-up, the chart-smashing 2001 mega-selling Toxicity. So these are the two albums that we're going to debate over to put into the Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame. Um, where should we start? I think let's start with Steve because I think El and I came to System a bit later than you. I think it's fair to say we both came in on Toxicity, didn't we, El? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so uh, we kind of came in on that big wave of kind of post-New Metal fans that um, uh, uh, Toxicity brought a lot of people in via um but steve uh, not only heard system earlier on but actually saw system in, in some of their very earliest days so do you want to talk about that steve what it was like seeing system around that debut album cycle um and then we can kind of get into why this is a fucking phenomenal album quite frankly yeah um i heard war on a metal hammer cd 
at a time where I would say I was becoming, I wouldn't say cynical about new metal particularly. Well, yeah, maybe cynical is actually the right word. I was certainly like, I hadn't heard a new metal album that had excited me in the same way as the Corn or Deftones or, you know, bands like Fear Factory and Machine Head and getting into all those bands. And a kind of a couple of years after that initial rush of those bands that I really, really loved, all the stuff that was being compared to them, I didn't really like as much. I mentioned Ultra Spank a couple of weeks ago to Ellen, who didn't know that. Um, uh, Ultra Spank and Kilgore and One Minute Silence and Spine Shank and a lot of sort of long forgotten bands from that scene who were all getting signed up. Um, Human Waste Project, Fine, Clawfinger, that sort of thing. Cold Chamber, not really getting particularly excited by any of it. And sort of feeling like, I don't know if this type of music already is sort of done. And then I heard War on a Metal Hammer CD and it was so weird. It was so odd. It wasn't like anything that I'd ever heard before. I hadn't heard Mr. Bungle at this point. I hadn't heard the Dead Kennedys at this point. I think they'd be two massive sort of influences from that first record. And um, I got a uh, an import copy of the self-titled System of a Down album and basically played it between sort of four to ten times a day for about a year. It was just fucking amazing. I was in a band at the time. We covered Sweet Pea and Pluck and War as well, with me trying to do Serge Tankian. It's not something anyone ever needs. 18-year-old me doing Serge Tankian. No one needs to hear that, to be honest. But we did because we fucking loved them so much. Um, I just couldn't even fathom what System of the Down were when that record came along. I had no real genuine reference points for it. I sort of knew that it sounded a bit like a lot of metal bands that I liked, a little bit, a little tiny, tiny weeny bit. But there were just so many other things that just were things that I was hearing for the first time. And um, I I think I got it. And then I bought tickets to see the Slayer Sepultura co-headline show that was playing the London Astoria. And System of a Down were added as the first band on that bill. And I queued up for about two hours before the doors opened. So I was one of the first people through the door to go in and see, to make sure I was on the barrier for System of a Down. I was so fucking excited. And they walked on. Um, I mean, it's a- just to, just to quickly interrupt, just to put some context on that, because the story has been gone so long now, annoyingly, that a lot of people might even not quite know this. But th- this is a this is a Slayer tour that was playing. I think it was a few nights at the Astoria, to be fair. But it was playing. I mean, what was the Astoria capacity? A couple of thousand? Just under two thousand. Just under two thousand. So yeah. this is kind of a, a kind of post uh, Diabolus in Musica Slayer. Uh, where they kind of dabble with new metal a bit. The metal landscape had changed completely. Sepultura were, of course, now, um, you know, a couple of years removed from losing Max Cavalera. And System of a Down at that point were still a relatively unknown band. And I think it's fair to say this was a tour that was a real breakthrough moment for them on this album, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I remember walking on. I remember them walking on and looking behind me. And because obviously you've got Slayer and Sepultura both playing full kind of hour and a half long headline slots. So the opening band, System of a Down, got half an hour 
and they were on at about 10 past seven, quarter past seven. They were on super early. And I looked around and the 1,800 capacity Astoria had about 50 people in it at that point. And I was like, oh no, that's, that's really shit. And I sort of worried for System of a Down. And I was like, well, no one's going to get to see them and this is going to be a waste of time. But as soon as they started playing, I think they started with no, that drum beat from that kind of drum beat from no coming in straight away. And it was, you know, it was amazing. It was amazing. And by the end, you had like, it, the venue was probably just over half full by the time they, they finished. And you had people who were either mouths agape, like, oh my fucking God, what is this band? Like, this is incredible. Or, really fucking angry Slayer fans. Like, really, really, like, this is, they're wearing makeup, what the fuck, what are they doing? And who just did not get it at all. Um, uh, ironically, that's what Dinner Just Escape Plan got a few years later when they told the system of a down. So, you know, metal fans always find something to get annoyed about. But I thought it was, it was probably the most I've ever seen a opening band blow a headliner off the stage in my life, Sepultura came on, and it was the first time I'd seen Sepultura. It was their first tour of Derek Green. Bless them! Like I love Sepultura, but they just looked like they just looked like, but like do you know what I mean? They just looked boring. And even Slayer, they looked kind of boring. Both of those bands after System, it was incredible. And then six months later, they sold out two nights at the Astoria, and I saw them again um, on that tour as well, headlining. Um, They'd gone from like the opening band getting half an hour at quarter past seven to selling that venue out twice. It was just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I seethe with envy every time you tell this story. You're going to say, It's been so good. Yeah, just like unbelievable. I, th- I think it's easy to forget as well just how strange a band system were. It's still easy to forget. I mean, I wasn't even listening to those new tracks and just listening to some of the melodies that Darren writes and just thinking there's no band that actually writes like this now in metal. But um, yeah, they were just a, just a, such a unique band. Um, and of course they were playing that uh, off the back of their self-titled album, which came in June 30th, 1998. Um, it reached the almighty heights of number 124, in the Billboard 200, which, you know, is not a terrible, a terrible thing at all for a young metal band on their first mad album to, to, to get, I guess. Um, but we all kind of know what would come after that. I think because the spectre of toxicity is so huge and because toxicity has such massive songs and it's got a particular run of big tunes on that album, which we'll get to in a bit, I think it's easy to forget just how hard and how huge this first system of a down album hits the ground running with its track list for your first ever album to have your first songs, your first five songs that most people will ever hear of your band be sweet pea, no sugar suggestions, and then spiders. That is absolutely unbelievable. And it's probably the best run of tracks across these two albums, I think. Um, and what's interesting to me about this record is kind of similar to what we talked about with the first Slipknot album. They kind of get these huge, big metal bangers out the gates, one after the other, nonstop. Huge riffs, huge melodies, huge sing-along moments. Um, and then from then on in, it's just absolutely mental. 
everything that's going on here. Absolutely bonkers um, that goes on with this album. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if you listen to Suggestions and Sugar, I think you could probably describe both of those records, both of those songs as pretty fucking weird as well. Do you know that's what I mean? True, now, after hearing them more times, I think you kind of get used to songs like Sugar and stuff and you just go, oh, it's Sugar. I, I think, like you were saying, it's easy to forget how weird things are. And I think you get that in like a personal micro level when you're just used to hearing songs. If you actually step back, you're like, yeah, they're still weird. That's actually a really good point. I've got to kind of took it for granted that he's singing about fucking kombucha mushroom people. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's such a big song. I mean, it's got uh, the better part of 100 million streams on Spotify. But um, I guess what I mean as well is that I feel like most of those tracks are kind of amongst the better known of that first slip. Not wrong. I mean, No is still huge. Sugar was the single, obviously. Spiders are kind of the closest thing to a ballad on this album. And Suggestions, I agree, it is weird, but it's still got quite a big sweeping anthemic vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if those five songs are at that level, I mean, the quality doesn't really dip for this record, does it, at any point? No, I mean, I think um, I'm looking at the track listing right now. And I mean, <laughs> after Spiders, you've got The Devil, which is like, I mean, and that is fucking mental. Like, you know, that's that's a mental song when Serge is going <laughs> and doing like little weird squeaky noises. Well, I mean, he does that all the way through the album as well. I mean, it's not like that is, it's not weird, be- that be- it's not overly weird purely because of that. It's weird because it's weird. But the whole fucking thing is, is really really fucking weird um and like soil into war i mean mind i think is amazing and the last three like the last three as well cuba darts pluck fucking incredible like absolutely yeah. incredible I, in fact, the only out song i haven't even mentioned is peephole which again i think is amazing I, this for me is a proper 10 out of 10 fault this record's absolutely faultless mm. get into the other one i'm probably gonna be repeating myself when we get into toxicity but for me you know i mean i've got a real soft i've got the squidgiest softest marshmallowiest spot for this record. <laughs> you're the kombucha mushroom people yeah i mean i really do i really like it is um it's one of the most important albums for me for when, from when I was growing up. It can be stuck in there with like, you know, In Utero and Outcome the Walls by Rancid and, uh, you know, the first Corn album and Around the Fur and every single thing I felt that I felt that like totally shaped the shit that I love. Mm-hmm. I went out on this and I bought like Fresh Fruit for Rotten Vegetables by Dead Kennedys because people were like, oh, they really sound like System of a Down. And you know, from listening to Dead Kennedys, I list, I just got into loads of old punk bands and stuff. So it's unbelievably important in my progression of a music band, this record. And it's still, like I listened to it yesterday. It's the first time I listened to it in quite a few years, I think, because it's one of those like special treat records for me. Okay. I listened to it so much back in the day that now it's like you, you have to earn it. Do you know what I mean? You have to put it on on a special occasion. And it's just so fucking brilliant i wouldn't change anything about it at all nothing i'm not as into the back half i think because i didn't have that formative experience like you because like merlin said we came on in on toxicity i got this record i think from like a fop or something you know like when you get it with a sticker on it for a fiver and you kind of go back and you listen to it and i think just because i didn't have the same kind of experience as you the first half for me is the 
half that I get really excited about. And then after that, I'm like, yeah, it's cool, but I don't love it like you love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was probably the same at first because um, I got into system on toxicity and then I went back and got um, I went back and got uh, the, the first album and it wasn't that it was kind of too heavy or brutal because, you know, I was, you know, I was listening to like Iowa and stuff by that point, but it was just too mad. It was too mad. I, I was like, even like what Steve said, I just had no reference point to anything. And I was like, what the, what the fuck's going on? And like toxicity has its moments in that regard, but it's got nothing on the kind of, there's just this eccentric, almost kind of feral mad energy to this first album that just never lets up. And it's even now it feels so urgent and so unique. It just doesn't feel like, you know, as you said, there's stuff like Dead Kennedys and other bands that you can throw in as reference points. But really, especially in the metal scene, there's just nothing that quite sounds like what System of Down do. And obviously their Armenian heritage and stuff and the way that Darren brings that influence into his music as well just makes them so, so unique. Um, and yeah, it's it's a phenomenal album. It's an absolutely phenomenal album. I agree. I think it's a 10 out of 10 and I don't think there's a bad moment on it. I do think that for kind of, I guess, song power, like if System are putting a set list together, the songs that are probably going to get the biggest reactions are going to be those first five tracks, I think. But maybe War as well. War was quite big. But, um, but um, I don't think there's anything approaching a not brilliant song on this album uh and what's quite phenomenal is that they kind of went and did that again from album number two um which is the album that ellen and i came in on uh you know i heard chop suey thought it was one of the most awesome songs i'd ever heard and that was that was that really were you the same l yeah exactly the same that song was everywhere like everywhere at the time and i thought it was so good and this record every song on it like I mean like Steve was saying for the last one for me like this record every song on it I think is amazing and um I was at that time when I was at high school and um I would just listen to it with my friends and we would just listen to it all the time and um yeah it, it I guess it's like a refinement of all that mad stuff like all of them sound like singles to me and I love how they do that thing where they just can have a section that's just sort of quite chilled or maybe even normal not lyrically just kind of musically and then they just go into something crazy like it's some of them are say like stop start on off but it all fits together you never feel like you're being kind of um shifted around too much yeah no i i completely agree um it's uh i know what you mean with the kind of stop start thing as well like it's a it's got a quite an interesting pacing to a lot of this records but um it's a weird one because when i was listening to uh the self-titled back through earlier i kind of thought and i would probably still say bearing in mind i think these are both 10 out of 10 albums i think that the first album starts a little bit stronger like if i was going to have to pick the first five of the first album or the first five of toxicity i'd probably just about take the first five off the debut um but that all said the, that initial run of songs on Toxicity is just ridiculous. Prison Song is absolutely huge. Needles, Deer Dance, they're all just classics. But then once this album gets into Chop Suey, and I mean, you should probably talk about just how big a song Chop Suey is because we take it for granted that it's a big track. But this is a song that has over half a billion streams on Spotify. Over half a billion. That is, 
It's not far off twice as many streams as Slipknot's biggest single has. Um, and so even Toxicity has like 371 million streams. Th these are like unbelievably huge breakout songs, not just for a metal band, but on a, an Armenian-American metal band that deal with weird song structures and influences from right across the world and just one of the most zaniest and unique bands to have ever, ever picked up instruments. And they're rocking half a billion streams on Spotify, despite having not released uh, until last week any music in the streaming era. It's just mind-blowing how big this band is and how big this album got as well. Um, I mean, Toxicity went to number one in the Billboard 200 charts, which is just, again, ridiculous. Platinum all over the shop and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, Chop Suey absolutely kind of launched that um and that's six tracks in that song but after that this one of songs up to the end is fucking insane bounce forest atwa science shimmy is a bit of a weird kind of outlier track because it's just that's kind a of good song man then no it's an amazing I, I think every song in here is a 10 out of 10 but it's just i think that speaks to what you were saying about like the pacing and stuff because you've got all these like emotional epic tracks and then shimmy turns up and it's just a bit of a like a kind of almost like a palate cleanser um and then it goes into that final three of toxicity psycho and aerials which is just so unbelievably powerful as a triumvirate of songs um and it just goes to make what is in my opinion another 10 out of 10 system of Dan album straight after they just well not straight after three years after they knocked out a previous one uh, and this was the album that I first saw System on as well. I saw them at Brixton Academy, supported by Dillinger Escape Plan. Uh, Steve will be happy to know that Dillinger got booed that night <laughs> because they were literally... Lit I mean, that shows you how about how far System had come in the space of one album cycle. They went from being the band that were confusing and confounding quite unquote traditional metal fans to being the band that were bringing in more casual metal fans that couldn't get there, that couldn't come around to a band like Dillinger Escape Plan. Um, but they were fucking great on that tour as well. When did you did, when did you get to see Sister Mel? I don't know. I was just trying to Google it. It probably would have been in Manchester, but um, I'm not sure when. I don't have like a very, very clear memory like you do. Fair. I saw them. I didn't see them. I don't think I saw them on Steal This Album, but I did see them on Hypnotize and Mesmerize after that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like Toxicity almost speaks to itself because it's just such a huge album genuinely one of the biggest metal albums ever released that's not an exaggeration to say that there really aren't many bands who have released albums and songs like uh, the songs on this record that went so huge like this did um and the fact we're still talking about that in an era where you had you know hybrid theory chocolate starfish mutter iowa um, and system remain one of the biggest out of all those bands bigger than most of those bands in fact that i just kind of uh, talked about it's just ridiculous but it's still so good as well there's not a second wasted on this album and it's just so so huge as well for again we talked about hybrid theory and chocolate starfish recently it's gateway albums i suspect very strongly that this is an album that brought a lot of people into metal but i actually think this is an album that i think a lot of people who probably didn't listen to metal and probably still don't listen to metal uh have given a lot of time to as well uh, i know a lot of people that wouldn't consider themselves anything approaching a metalhead that love system of a down because they were so adept at writing these heavy uh mad songs but they just got so much more anthemic on this record um they're, just also, they're also far more 
like they're far more artistically interesting than with all due respect to a lot of the a lot of their peers they are kind of they're credible to the sort of people that wouldn't really want to listen to metal do you know what i mean i think you can you can look at folk influences and early punk rock influences and you know kind of weird um <laughs> zany kind of people who like captain beefheart or frank zappa and those mm. sort of people would look at it and go they're really experimenting with the formulas of how to sort of structure songs and how to, to kind of use that dual vocal i mean for me like i saw them two days before this record came out toxicity at reading festival and they were pretty much middle of the bill they weren't that high up they hadn't been around for a year or so so it was like a kind of comeback for them and you know they, they played the uk a lot in that first tour and then um they weren't really around so people were either sort of like oh yeah system of down their back or were super excited i was so fucking excited to see them and i think that day you know the first half of the day was like i think they were on after fear factory head pe played boy hits car i think maybe stain played that day as well and then you got all these big hitting bands like the cult played after them and um queens of stone age and papa roach i mean papa roach had didn't even have anything out when system first came along and it kind of jumped over the top of them when infest came out and become bigger than them in that time for a brief moment and then you had like i think it was placebo and was it stereophonic anyway but there were a lot i'm of- just looking at the lineup now 2001 so above system of his fucking hell this lineup's insane on this one day of reading and leeds that year you had boy hits car stained head pe fear factory then system of a down then you had exhibit the cult Queens of Stone Age, Papa Roach, Marilyn Manson, and Eminem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was that Eminem. We were actually talking about that just before we started recording that Eminem show, which was pretty bad. And um, and System of Down were like all anyone could talk about after they played for the rest of that day because they started with Prison Song, which nobody knew, and people were just like, "Oh, what the fuck!" And then I remember them playing Chop Suey, and I remember being like, "Wow, that's." A, you know, halfway through that song, you could tell that this song was like absolutely massive, was a absolute certified gold plated, no doubt about it at all. This is going to be a proper anthem for them. And then, you know, I was at Reading Festival, that was a Sunday. The album came out the next day. And I, like, on my way back from the festival, I remember buying it and getting home and getting to listen to it. And the strength of that album, which I think is a bigger strength than the first album is that I put the album on and I felt like I'd heard those songs already from one mm. live the day before. Like wow. they are massive. I think the influence of punk from like that first album is really punky and that dead Kennedy thing, which I love is there. And I don't think it's quite as there as much on toxicity, but what they brought in on toxicity is better songwriting. They made it more like it, more people could get into it it's more um you know it's weird but like say it's not that it's not as weird and the dual vocals between darren and serge that's when they first started doing that really like really starting to use those two together as almost like a dual front man and yeah it's just fucking insane those songs are it's so weird because they're so inescapably obviously massive but everything about you tells everything about them tells you that they sort of shouldn't be really because 
they're still fucking weird. Half yeah. a billion streams. I mean, that's too weird for half a billion streams. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy how much it broke through. I mean, and and that was kind of uh, reflected in the in the reader vote as well for these albums because even though Toxicity and System of a Down were the clear two winners, uh, it's probably worth pointing out that Toxicity got three times as many votes as System of a Down, um, and System of a Down the album actually got uh, twice as many votes as Mesmerized. So, system in terms of the overall kind of spread of data. Um, System of Down's debut album was actually closer in the vote to Mesmerise than it was to Toxicity. That's how much Toxicity ran away with it, which isn't surprising because so many more people came to them on that record and it's just, it was such a breakthrough uh, moment for them. Um, I think it's worth briefly talking about where they went after this album before we do our votes. Um, the next thing they did, of course, was steal this album in 2002. They basically just kind of all put their hands down the back of the sofa uh, and this is how good this band were um, they checked down the back of the sofa for some extra songs to see what they had lying around. And some of those songs included the likes of inner vision and Mr. Jack and I, 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 O uh, and uh, roulette and just what the fuck this band was amazing. Um, and then they of course uh, went away in recording terms for a, a few years after that. And then came back in 2005 with the double whammy of Mesmerize and Hypnotize, which I think, even now, I still would go as far as to say that those are quite underrated albums because if they're not quite the 10 out of 10s that Toxicity and System of a Down were, I think they are high nines. I think there might be one song across both those records I would skip, um, and it's She's Like Heroin, if you're, if you're asking. But <laughs> yeah, just incredible, incredible back catalogue and mad to think it's been 15 years since they've done anything until we heard these new songs um any thoughts on other system of down things and where they went after that it kind of felt like a lot of the energy went out of their live shows quite soon after the toxicity era for me because i did see them on hypnotize and mesmerize and they were still really good but the dynamic had definitely shifted by then already i don't think anything was as good as toxicity i mean i might Again, it might just be because of my personal experience. I remember having Steal this album, um, but I actually had it on a CDR with Mark Penn written on it. So it looked like Steal this album, but it wasn't the real Steal this album. Because at the time, everyone used to copy CDs from each other. And I had like cases of copied CDs, um, but it didn't really do a lot for me. Um, I wasn't super inspired by it. And then I was so excited by Mesmerize and Hypnotize when they were coming out. I just was so excited for them to come out. Um, and I think, again, they're both a bit mixed for me. There's tracks that I like on there. There's tracks that I'm not so into. For me, Toxicity is just amazing. And it was difficult for anything to live up to that, I think. So go on, Steve. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, this album, I think, has got some, like you say, for, for what is essentially not really a proper record, is really great. Um, for me, mes Mesmerize, over the two, Mesmerize and Hypnotize, I think Hypnotize is good. I think it is some way from System of a Down at their best. I think Mesmerize is not as good as the first two, but I still think that is an almost impossible bar to leap. And I think Mesmerize gets as close as anything could you have any right to get. I mean, when you look at the track listing for that record in particular, I think there's some, you know, there is some really good stuff on Hypnotize, but particularly when you look at shit like, you know, Lost in Hollywood, Violent Pornography, Cigaro, like BYOB is obviously on it as well. I mean, it's like 
amazing. Like, there's some absolutely amazing, amazing songs that are as good as anything they've ever done on on that particular record. Radio video as well, massive. Yeah, huge. It was a really good record, actually. I'm just going to take it all back. I just looked at the track listing. It's like, it's like, oh, actually, yeah. Even things like Sad Statue, it's a good one to sing along to. I mean, I think the problem with um, uh, <laughs> for a lot of people is that it didn't produce a big single. Like, BYOB is one of the biggest assistant songs ever. And I think that helped a lot. Um, and I think Hypnotize gets kind of like treated like the kind of little brother of Mesmerize, which I guess it was in a lot of ways. But I think both those albums, honestly, I don't, I, there's so little on either of these records I would skip over. I think they're both fucking, I, I don't even just think they're, um, you know, really good albums. I think they're phenomenal records. Maybe not quite the classic all time beating 10 out of 10s. But uh, yeah, like Steve said, so many great tracks on Mesmerize. And I think Hypnotize as well. I actually think Hypnotize has the best vocal uh, duels between uh, Darren and Serge of any system album. When you look at tracks like Tentative and Holy Mountain, they go full fucking hell for leather on those vocal harmonies on those, on those songs. And I think it's the best example of those that they've ever done. Um, and the way that Hypnotize, I think what I love most about Hypnotize is that it goes into Lonely Day, which is a great song. And then it goes back into that kind of like slightly different version of Soldier side that ties the two records together. And when that bit hits in and they go back into the welcome, it's like goosebumps. It's so well put together. Um, I love both those records. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to excuse to say that really. But we're not here to talk about them, are we? We're here to make a difficult decision and I thought I had this decision made and actually listening back to the first two albums threw some doubt in my mind. So we've got to pick one record each out of System of a Down, the self-titled and Toxicity. Uh, and the uh, the one that gets the most votes between the three of us will go into the Metal Hole Podcast Hall of Fame. So let's have some closing statements and a final vote. We'll start with you, Stephen. Which is getting your vote for the Hall of Fame? Well, um, I unlike other Hall of Fames that we've done, whatever gets in, I'm not going to be too upset because I think both of them are fucking brilliant. And I think objectively speaking, maybe um, Toxicity is objectively the better album. It's certainly the more important album. It's certainly the more universal album. And I think the growth they showed on that record to become the band that they became is massively impressive. But a bit like when I was talking about Corn and talking about sort of 16-year-old me, 18-year-old me cannot vote against the first System of a Down album. And certainly there's nothing on Toxicity that really changed what I didn't already know that I liked. But for the first album to get that kind of neutron bomb of all these things that I had no idea really existed for them getting me into the dead Kennedys, which then got me into like, you know, minor threat and bad brains and black flag and, you know, making me go, Oh, I can go and listen to Mr. Bungle and then hearing all the kind of weird stuff that Mike Patton did post doing that. I think Faith in the More obviously made me want to do that as well, but like certainly they gave me so much, wider an understanding of loads of different different types of ways to be heavy and that record has got this absolutely unhinged don't give a f like it doesn't feel like a record that should be big 
or gives a fuck about selling any records. And I find that really, really exciting. So um, I have to pick first album. And that's what I'm going to do. There we go. Big L. Mine's not a surprise, is it? I'm going to pick Toxicity because um, it's just... When it came out, it was just the height of excitement for me for getting into metal, well, new metal really, but then metal as a whole and just something really exciting. And I love the fact that they were weird and random and all that stuff because that was what I've always been drawn to. And I love the fact that every single song was something that you could put on and get excited about. There's nothing on this that I would skip. I just love it all. I think it's such a great record from start to finish. And um, yeah, that's why I'd pick Toxicity. An excellent choice. I don't. I don't think there's a wrong answer here. Like I'd be totally cool with either to go in. Um, and listening back to to the first System of Down album really did start to swing my mind a bit. I was like, oh god, actually, this first record is just ferociously good. But I think um, both personally because it just was the album that got me into them, and also I think on balance it makes the most sense to put in. I think you'd have to put Toxicity in there. If you were putting kind of a Mount Rushmore of albums out from that era, not just that year, but that whole era, I think Toxicity would be a real big shout to get in there because it's just how huge it ended up getting. You really can't argue with well over nearly 600 million streams for Chop Suey um, from a band that have been totally irrelevant to the streaming generation. Just unbelievable. So for that reason... I'm going to pick Toxicity, which means Toxicity will go into the Metal Podcast Hall of Fame. Uh, and we will do another one of these very soon. Don't forget to let us know who you'd like us to, to have a good old debate over uh, for the Podcast Hall of Fame uh, over on the Reader's Facebook group right now. Let's fly through some reader questions, shall we? Why the fuck not? Um, no, Facebook.com slash Readers is the place where you can ask us questions for the podcast. Uh, Aidan Delaney asks, do you buy into the theory that bad presidents make for good music? Because we've had some whopper albums <laughs> in the last four years. Thoughts, uh, L? I know that people say that and they say that having that kind of discontent can make good music happen. And we have had some really good records, but I think anything can inspire people. And I, I feel weird saying that like bad presidents make for good music. Cause it's almost just like, it felt weird when Donald Trump got elected and everybody was going, oh, well, at least now we'll get some new music. It's like, one, is that how it works? And two, do you want to have a shit leader just so you can have good music? I don't know. It's all a bit weird to me. I don't think you can scientifically prove this. So I'm going to go with no. I think just any kind of life stuff can make for good music. But I haven't got any specific examples here. So change my mind. I'm not sure I've been alive for a good president, so I wouldn't really know, to be honest. I mean, who have <laughs> been any that you're like, oh, no, I bloody, bloody love Clinton. Like, well, I guess there were loads of bands during when George Bush was a thing. There were loads of bands kind of sort of standing against Bush. Yeah. Um, and then when we had Obama, there weren't really any bands against Ted, Obama. Ted Nugent was a word. Ted Nugent wants a word. Yeah. Well, apart from him and his gun collection. I mean, um, goes to show how bloody, like, that we, that's when we had young guns and stuff like that when, when Obama was around. 
<laughs> like, oh, everything's all right now. We've got a cuddly president, so let's just make really terrible music, Young Guns and Learn at the Land. Bones was quite good. So you sticking up for Young Guns? The song Bones. Oh, oh, I think that was all right. Oh, you stuck up for Donald Trump and stuck up for fucking Young Guns. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I think that. Uh, I think the thing is, is as well, like yeah, like if you the problem with having bad governments in power is that often um and i and i you know i'm not attributing this to trump specifically but often the arts as we are seeing in a lot of this pandemic often the arts get a really fucking shitty time of it when you don't have uh people in power who care about that kind of thing and so actually even though it's nice to be like oh everyone's gonna go and write great music because everything's shit um it's harder for bands to exist if they're not supported and kind of in an industry that can make them put that art in good places. So I think the thing that makes me a bit uneasy, which I was alluding to before, but I'm not being particularly articulate today, is that for me, I think it borders into that question of like, um, do you have to be tortured to make good music? You know, can you only be a genius if you're fucked up and stuff? And I just think that kind of stuff is like bullshit, really. I'm not denying there's been good music from people who were having a bad time of it, whether it's politically or personally, but I think like the idea that things have to be messed up for good music to come out is not really an idea that I want to get on board with particularly. Who's been, been having a bad time of it? <laughs> how, you, how you describe Kurt Cobain or Elliot Smith? <laughs> They're having a bad time. <laughs> no, because you're taking it the wrong way. I don't mean it like that. I just mean, you know, you, something... There doesn't have to be something bad to happen for good music to happen. But obviously, if people react to situations, they can create good music from those situations, is what I mean. I think that's very reasonably put. Um, Except for young guns. <laughs> <laughs> Go and listen to Bones after this. Absolutely. See how long the chorus is in your head for. No, not a chance. No need, no need. There's plenty of good music out without going to listen to old, not good music. Um, keeping it political... Uh, Sam Welch asks, uh, your prime minister or president, probably prime minister is more likely for us, um, who's, who's in your cabinet? Who's in your cabinet? Uh, prime Minister Stephen Hill. I fucking, I don't know about these guys. What, do you mean musicians? Oh, I assume so. That'd be a bit <laughs> weird. You just went, just started banging on about David Lammy. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I don't know. Who would be a good, who's a good, someone who's a good orator that people can kind of believe in and get by. Probably Henry Rollins. Ooh, good one. Henry Rollins for um, Secretary of State. Nice. Uh, yeah. Um, Ian Mackay as well. I just go, all that, all that kind of Washington punk, all those kind of 80s Washington punks. Not all the punks, not the Johnny, not John Lydon, definitely not him or any of his mates. But all the, all the American punks seem to be very, like, clued up guys nice dudes i think that's reasonable i would be interested to see how that cabinet would get on um what about you el who's in I'd your be, i'd be interested to see what steve did as prime minister <laughs> uh, you'd just be like free vinyl for all yeah that'd be good wouldn't it one vinyl for everybody Ask not what your uh, vinyl can do for you, but what... Oh, fuck it. Get on with it. I'm not trying to... 
come on. <laughs> uh, well, I just went for a selection of people. So obviously, yeah, we'd be prime minister because we're English, but I went for a selection of people across the metal world from different countries, just FYI. Um, so Chancellor... Oh, of the United Nations. Yeah. Chancellor of the Exchequer, I went for Loz from While She Sleeps because I thought While She Sleeps are good at, like... Um, knowing how to use budgets like they've just launched their patreon and they're kind of very up on like making money work for you and kind of what you need to do with that so that's quite practical and also i I mean the the reasoning is quite sound but i love the idea i love lost to bits but i love the idea of lost just suddenly be sat in the office going oh fuck i've got the entire country's finances to think about when they do the budget and they get the red box and stuff and he's just standing there and um Doing yeah, the budget. Um, you're doing the budget, you can get a t-shirt and beanie bundle with it as well. <laughs> <laughs> but this is my reasoning, is that they have some sort of well-thought-out financial plan that he could then, you know, just transpose onto the entire UK. But my other point for that was he's northern, so he's not going to ignore the north, which I thought was a very important point to make, because you shouldn't ignore the north. Um, foreign affairs I picked Max Cavalera because he's travelled all around the world and played all different countries and whenever you interview him he always brings up different places he's been and what it was like um, and how interesting it was and all that kind of stuff and I think you want somebody who's got like a good knowledge of places around the world Home Secretary I picked Tom Morello because he cares about people and uh, he's qualified he's got some kind of degree in political science I think hasn't he so it's quite an important position. I feel like he could probably actually make a go of it. Minister for the Cabinet Office uh, slash Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster. That's the Michael Gove position. I picked Winston McCall from Parkway because he's just a nice guy. And I feel like he'd be quite balanced about people and quite like, you know, level headed. Uh, Justice. I picked Serena Cherry from Svalbard because I've got okay. I've got Serena in my cabinet. Yeah, she's just, um, she's got strong sense of justice about her. Defence, I picked Pa from Sabaton for obvious reasons. He knows how to plan out defence. He knows all about that stuff and strategy. Health and social care, I picked Danny from Berry Tomorrow because he works for the NHS and he's big on mental health. Business, energy and industrial strategy, I picked Till Lunderman from Ramstein just because... Really done the whole cabinet. Like, yeah, like, ninety-four fucking ministers. <laughs> yeah, this is what the cabinet is made up of. I picked Till Lindemann because it had the word industrial strategy in it, and he does industrial music. But also, just like business and energy, I thought he knows about um, firepower, and he could do business. Um, the trade slash women and equalities. I picked Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm because she's outspoken. Um, on issues education i picked sue metal from baby metal because they had an early song called no more bullying and so i thought you know should be good on education um (laughs) it's a good reason steve uh food environment rural affairs uh i picked joe Duplantier from gajira (laughs) because he knows about the environment housing communities I've i've got him in that role as well Housing, communities, and local government. I can't. Oh, come on, Al. I've got three more. That was the role I was wondering about most. 
I think mainly James Keenan because he's big on local community. Um, transport. Yeah, he loves it. He moved to Arizona, Jerome in Arizona, and he's all about building a community. And yeah. um, come on, no more We that in geography, didn't we? Uh, transport. I picked Ozzy Osbourne because he wrote Crazy Train. But that's the only reason. And digital culture, media, and sport. I picked. Matt Heafy, because he's really big on streaming and he so he knows about digital culture and media. I don't know if he knows about sport. He'd have to learn if he doesn't. Fucking hell, I need to lie down after that. <laughs> that is good. Although one, I'm going to pick you up on one, if you don't mind. Go Matt on. Sarah, yeah. Tell you what, if they fucking moaned about Jeremy Corbyn not doing his top button up when he's wearing a tie... <laughs> well, look at Matt, fucking what, what Max looks like. He's get torn to shreds in a tabloid. Look, Steve, he's cut off his dreadlock. And also, Boris Johnson used to do this position and he never has neat hair. So, whatever. Yeah, fair. Fair. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, and look what happened to him. Oh, anyway. Uh, yeah, well, Elle, I thought mine was a bit too in depth, but Elle's just completely showed me up here. I've got an incomplete cabinet, so I don't know what the fuck my country is going to look like. But <laughs> Henry Rollins doing everything. <laughs> <laughs> just bad brains in the background somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is so my. Some of these are real roles. Some of these are made up roles because I just got lost, and I'm definitely missing. I'm definitely missing stuff here. But um, I've got a minister for education. I chose Lizzie Hale because uh, she's very intelligent and well-educated, but she's also very empathetic, which I think is important. Uh, minister for equality, I've got Serena Cherry because uh, kind of similar to your justice reasoning, Elle. Um, minister for transport. I mean, I laughed at Ozzy Osbourne. I've got minister for transport and I thought Bruce Dickinson because he's in the plane industry, but then I thought that's not really what that's about. So he's going to fuck it. He's going to absolutely have a nightmare. Um I just picked Minister for Housing. Sainsbury's. Like, what? Uh, putting helipads in Sainsbury's. I <laughs> need more aviation stuff in. Dead. Why not? Why not? <laughs> just more planes. Planes for everywhere, all day. Um, uh, I've got uh, Minister for Housing. I just put While She Sleeps because they build all their own shit. So... Oh, you laughed at me when I said about Loz for doing Chancellor of the Exchequer. Yeah, because um, I'm a hypocrite. You know, um, the industry for housing doesn't actually build the houses, though, don't you? Well, they will when sleeps are involved. This is my cabinet, so <laughs> don't. Um, Minister for the Arts, I've got John Baisley, because he loves a bit of art, numerous arts. <laughs> This is like blood out of stone, this question. I'm just starting to realise I've taken some of these a bit literally. Um, <laughs> Chancellor for the Exchequer, I've got Gene Simmons. He knows about money. So I was going to pick him, right, but then I just thought because he knows about money and he can make tons of money and like his strategy to make money is hugely successful. But then I realised that he was a bit of a megalomaniac and he might not actually, you know, consider... Oh, heaven forbid we let any of them into government. <laughs> um, yeah, I got Gene Simmons just because I thought, um, you know, he is all about making money for Kiss. He's a merchandising genius and 
he knows his shit, so that worked. But he can, you know, he can be uh, a bit Meghan and Michael. So instead I, of furlough pay, he'd just be like, "Here's eighty percent of your salary in Kiss merchandise." Exactly, which will definitely sort everyone out. But because of that, I I put alongside him the secretary for trade. For trade, uh, I just put Doro. <laughs> <laughs> She's really nice. She's so nice and she's so positive. <laughs> she's toured the world. Um, she's from Germany, so she'll you know have a better idea of that very specific part of Europe compared to someone else. And um, she's just yeah, I thought she would like offset Jean quite well. Uh, I've got Jody Plantier as Minister for the Environment, obviously. Uh, Minister for Health, I've got Nita Strauss because she works out a lot. Like half her Instagrams are at the gym and fucking smashing it. So. She knows what that's all about. Um, Minister for Mental Health, I've got Danny Winter-Bates. Uh, and then I looked, and there is actually a role in some countries called Minister for Happiness. So I hired Sue Metal to do that, just Aww. to make everyone feel wicked. Um, and then I've got a secretary. Uh, oh, no, so I've got uh, uh, the Home Secretary. I've got Tom Morello, who is probably the one Where person who could probably do an actual political job if he needed to. Um, and then I've got Secretary of State for Wales, Benji Webb. And Secretary of State for Scotland, Scott from Leaf for Winning. <laughs> that's, that's what I got. I didn't do any of the um, other nations, so I'm glad that you did. Yeah, well, someone's got to be thorough hero. These people, this is running the this is running the country. Could you imagine these cabinet meetings? It will be amazing. Sue Metal sitting next to Gene Simmons. <laughs> what they were they were talking about? It'd be so good. It'd be so good. Goodness. Have you got Northern Ireland minister? I actually haven't. I forgot about that. That's pathetic of me. Um, sorry to uh, our Northern Ireland uh, listeners. There's got to be some metal bands from Northern Ireland. Yeah, Tim Wheeler from Ash. Yeah, yeah, sure. That would be. So yes, they, they, I don't think these cabinets will work very well. Oh, ask the next question. Put us out of our political misery. <laughs> sure. Okay, I will. Joe Fleischer asks. Now that System of a Down have put out their first music in 15 years, are there other bands we still need to hear from? I yes. just went with two basic options. Rage Against the Machine, obviously very heavily linked to System of a Down in terms of their comeback and being a political band. Uh, and Guns N' Roses as well. I want to hear a new Guns N' Roses album with this lineup. Amazingly, next year is going to mark 13 years since... Um, Chinese democracy and I think it was like 14 years between Chinese democracy and the album before it so uh, we're actually coming up to another similar length of time between Guns N' Roses records and surely it's time for them to get in a studio together I want to hear it so those are my choices what are yours Steve? Uh, well I thought Guns N' Roses would be quite good as well so I picked them um, I don't really want any more Rage Against the Machine material haven't heard Prophets of Rage uh, I would like to think Zach would sort of up the quality of that a little bit but I don't feel like I need to hear new Regents Machine I don't really feel like I need to hear anyone really who is sort of of a certain age but unless you know they were capable of doing it well uh, which is always a bit of a toss of a coin I think but I would like to hear if possible some sort of actual or get some sort of actual Caius reunion I think that would be really good. And I think they play the type of music that would mean that they could still be really good today. And a lot of the bands who I would pick, I would like to see them, but I'd like to see them in like 1994, 
five or something. So really, Caius, I think Caius, if they came back, because Queen's Stone Age is still doing the thing and Mr. Chino were really good. Old school Caius back together would be lovely. And I think they could make a really, really great album. I don't think they will, but I would like them to. I mean, there is no need, there is no reason for Josh Homme to do it other than because he fancies it, is there? That's the thing. Queens is still a massive band, so. Yeah. And the other one, which is not as metal as well, I had was Screaming Trees. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. But I just love Mark Lanigan. And I get loads of Mark Lanigan solo stuff. So I'm fine with that, really. But those would be the two that I think could put out good albums. Maybe Black Crows as well. Sorry. Just, they got back together. I'd like to hear a new Black Crows album. Nice. L. You've covered them all already. I was just going to say Rage. So, but yeah, Guns and Roses is a good point as well. It's interesting, isn't it, that no one's talking about how long that gap's been, but everyone talks about how long the gap was before. Mm. Well, it's good they say it's out next year, every year, didn't they, for fucking 15 years. Every year it was like, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. So I don't think anyone really expects a new Guns N' Roses album at this point. So Probably not. Oh, I don't know. I reckon there'll be a new Guns N' Roses album. Uh, that's, I have yeah, Chinese uh, democracy. You knew you knew the name Chinese democracy yeah, about nineteen ninety seven. Everyone was like, "Oh, it's going to be called Chinese democracy," and it's happening, and they're making it. There's no indication that that is getting made. A new Guns N' Roses album. So I think, yeah. Well, I think that I feel like the members of the band have said stuff in the press about them writing together. So I, I feel like there's there's stuff out there. But yeah, you're right. It's not the same situation at all. It's weird not to talk about the Tool album anymore because it always used to be the Tool album. They've not done an album. Now they've done one. It's just like, well, it's happened now. Yeah, it'll be the next Tool album. Uh, Tor Arnaven says, where do you guys see Metal Hammer in 10 years? That I mean, that's a big question. <laughs> like, I don't think if you look, Metal Hammer's only been around for 33 years, which is a long time in its own way. But you're asking like where we're going to be in like another uh, kind of, Another third added on of its entire lifetime. Um, fuck knows. I've been in Melhammer for 10 years next year, which is pretty mad. Think um, about how much it's changed in that time. Because you were, what, online editor when you started, when there were barely, like, any websites? <laughs> all right, I started in 2011, not 1988. <laughs> there, there were barely any websites in 2011. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know that's literally not true. I was writing for music websites in 2004, 2005. Um, but I mean, there wasn't a lot of presence online when it came to metal media. I wrote for some websites that are now defunct. There's a website called Sound Generator, one called Vanguard Online, some other ones. Um, and Metal Hammer didn't really have a huge amount of website-ness going on, really, probably until you joined. Yeah, I mean, well, there were, you know, we had the online editor terry was doing that for a, a year or two beforehand and it was kind of I, I was like the second ever online editor and the first one was 2009 i guess terry visa would have joined so but back in those days it was all about like message boards and then like that was about it really it was a message board and then a, occasional news stories whereas now we have like features videos it's different, isn't it? Different times. Yeah, it was just different, really. Like, I mean, there was a podcast when I joined. The Facebook had started to grow, but um, accelerated quite a lot uh, in a couple of years after that. Um, so, yeah, it was just a different time. And, you know, 10 years before that, 
it was we're just different universe a completely different universe like we didn't have social media in 2000 um you know everyone was still buying albums uh, you know the kind of drop-off point for people not buying physical products wasn't quite as severe in 2011 as it is now so to predict where we're going to be in 2030 i mean if metal hammer is still here i have every confidence that it could be because we're a big brand or a big platform um we're the biggest game in town as they say uh so i i think we'll be here in some form or another but what that will look like it's just impossible to know i mean I hope- in 10, 10 years it's probably a safe bet to say we might not have maiden we might not have metallica even maybe so yeah. you know what we'll look like yeah i, I hope would- be surprised if we'd have both those two in 10 years from now i hope mm. at least we've sorted out the covid situation and we're all back at gigs and festivals no matter what's ha- happening anywhere else yeah don't, yeah in 10 years fucking hell I hope so. <laughs> oh jesus christ well i tell you, if metal hammer's not here in 10 years i definitely won't be if we can't go to a fucking gig in the next <laughs> years fuck that yeah shit <laughs> um surely gonna be sorting itself out by then i mean yeah, i was i was i mean affiliated with hammer from next year will be 10 years since i was first sort of affiliated with hammer as well because i started doing like the original version of this and then you came along we were quite close to each other mel like in terms of when we Uh, and we still are (laughs) (laughs) yeah. i had a review published in 2003 so there that was 17 years ago what in hammer yeah well done thanks (laughs) <laughs> well done to everyone um steve read this next question out we've got two more and then we'll call it quits um this is from jonathan scott anderson seeing machine in the uk stroke europe is pretty high on my bucket list as it should be because they are uh, they get to play much bigger bigger venues and do more production are there any bands you'd like to see in other countries where they have much bigger followings hmm, that's a good question uh i'm the opposite actually i like seeing bands who are massive play Smaller places, personally. Don't know about you. I think I just like seeing bands in other countries anyway. Like, I've been lucky. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, exactly. I I like doing, I'm lucky to have done that a lot through work and sometimes just through, you know, going on holiday with friends to see bands or whatever. Like, um, I think there's just something different and fun about seeing a band in another country. I don't know what it is, but it just feels different and and exciting. I mean, I'd love to see... There's loads of bands I'd like to see in like their hometowns and things like that. I'd love to see Kill Switch and Gaze in Massachusetts or something like that. I think that would be really cool. Um, I'd actually love to see The Prodigy in the US just because... Um, obviously, we don't know what the future for The Prodigy holds at the moment, but just because there's still a big deal over there, but they just don't play as much. Um, and I, I just don't quite... I can't quite get my head around what a kind of aggro dance us crowd looks like do you know what i mean the prodigy feels so english and then europe kind of european as well mm. i just can't see i just can't quite envision what that crowd would be like in america so i'd like to see that just out of interest really but again that would probably be a smaller crowd if anything i imagine well i was i was i watched something the other day and they were talking about the prodigy in the us and fat of the lamb was the first ever dance album to top the billboard 200 mm. i didn't realize that but that's pretty cool, yeah. And very, very few did for a long time. Well, I don't know if it is a long time after that, but like dance now in the US is the biggest it's ever been, I think. When you look at the success of people like Diplo and Marshmallow and 
I mean, Dead Mouse is Canadian, but you know what I mean? Like Dead Mouse, all those guys. Um, it's a different world. Aoki is another one, isn't it? He's massive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you who I did see in France. And this is a few years ago. We're talking about them being a potential he- um, festival headliner, but Gojira playing Hellfest, and it was just after Magma had come out. So what was that, 2016? Yeah, 2016. So it was just after Magma had come out, and they played quite high up on the bill at Hellfest, probably a lot higher than they would have done at Download, and at that point anyway. And it was like, well as big as a festival headlining crowd would have got. It was huge, unbelievable. Like, and that was when I was like, oh shit, they're, they're really, really big here, obviously. I'd like to see Baby Metal do Tokyo Dome. That's like over 50,000 people, which I just think would be insane. And um, having been to like a Japanese festival before, I know how crazy people go with merchandise and just get really involved in the whole experience. I think that would be really amazing to see just like people who were just super 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 excited to see them and had like all the t-shirts and flags and scarves and all that kind of stuff plus i've been trying to practice my japanese and it'd be nice to go to japan and see if i can say anything <laughs> I, did, I did do that eleanor it was really good i did see i saw baby metal in japan did uh, you yeah Where in the because i did the i did the feature where we went out i saw them at the fucking hell where they this I can't remember the name of the place now, but it was um, like a massive, huge. What was the the sumo dome, whatever it's called, was it? Yeah, the Suja Dome or something. I think it's called. I don't think that's what it's called. I think I'm getting mixed up with a wrestling venue. But um, did you see yeah. them at Tokyo Dome then? At the Tokyo, yeah, I'm in Tokyo. Uh, I went out. I was I was like the first person to go out there from the UK to see them. I think so. That yeah, was cool. I remember that. I've completely forgot that you'd done that. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Remember going to places. Uh, Joel Anthony asks, what unusual things are good to collect in the world of rock and metal? Currently collecting bottle caps to make a tabletop. I love a good bottle cap tabletop. They always look cool. Um, any of you collect any weird stuff? I feel like I might be the most collecty out of the three of us, to be honest. No, I'm not particularly collecty, if I'm honest. I used to, when I was at uni, I used to try and get set lists because I used to like to have them up on my wall. They were quite cool. Um, and I was trying to think of stuff that you could collect. And so I just like had a little look around. And you can, ACDCs, like KISS do, they have some crazy merchandise. They have, you can get dummies. You can get an ACDC cap with horns on and you can get a Hell's Bells bell key ring. <laughs> I mean, it's not particularly collecting stuff. It's just random band merchandise. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool to collect bottle caps to make a tabletop. It's thinking outside the box a bit. Why the yeah. fuck not? That does sound cool. I don't really collect much. I've got a lot of like... Collect vinyl, I'd say. You've got enough to yeah. say you collect those. Yeah. Does that count? Because that's not really like merchandise, is it? That's actually the the thing or it used to be anyway um i've got a lot of like gig like framed gig posters as well i've got a ton of posters i've never put them up and i'm keep thinking i need to order some command strips or something i've got so many um i really like it when you go to gigs and they're selling like special posters mm. just for those gigs i've got like an opeth one and oh what they got pretty recently um was it at the gajira show maybe did i get one yeah i don't know I've got a few things like that. I mean, I've not unrolled them all, so I can't remember what I've actually got in my collection now. Did you get this one, Eleanor? Look. 
Gojira. Yeah, yeah, I've got that one. Yeah, I got that one. Oh, yeah, it's Gojira. Framed. I need to get mine framed. You see, I've just got them all rolled up in tubes. Yeah, it's good that. It's a good poster. Awesome. Yeah. Steve just showed up his lovely poster. Um, I don't collect much weird stuff. I mean, I've got. Uh, I mean, well, I do collect quite a lot of stuff actually. I've got pop vinyls and little figures and stuff like that. I've got a little Iron Maiden shelf on my uh, oddities uh, shelving unit, which has got some toys and stuff on. I don't really collect anything specific. Although I do have like, I do like novelty cups and like mugs and like big beer cups and stuff like that. But are the only band ones I've got, I think, are Metallica, Maiden, and Motorhead. Most of the rest are like film ones. Um, I like it when bands just have random stuff because it makes you want to buy it. Like, I always wanted the Astodon bikini, but I never got one. Um, it's, I don't know, it's, it's fun when you go and like look at the merch and the stuff you didn't expect. Yeah, that's that's a, a very uh, fair point. I used uh, to have a pair of offspring tie-dye shorts. <laughs> See you later. Why? <laughs> I just uh, thought it was fun when I saw the bikini. I was like, bands don't even make merch for girls, and now they've made a whole bikini. Like, I was like, this is cool. A whole bikini. A whole bikini, a top and a bottom half. Yeah, make more uh, merch for women bands. Um it's you know every woman i know in the metal scene is pr pretty much fed up with shit t-shirt sizes and stuff uh right that's it that's it let's fucking call it there it's been a long old podcast thank you for joining us this week everybody we really appreciate it we'll be back next week with more news and reviews and all that good stuff don't forget to pick up the latest issue of metal hammer out right now it's our huge tribute to eddie van halen uh, a lot of love went into making that um, and you can get that, as I said, in the shops or from the address tinyurl.com slash gethammer. In the meantime, stay safe out there and we'll see you very soon. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. See you later.